2: Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 231, Bras and Board Games. We'd like to thank our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Jen. Hey, Jen. How are you?
3: Hey, I'm doing pretty good. How about you?
2: Good. So everyone, i really like to introduce... A good friend of mine, Jen, she is a hardcore board gamer, so much so that she can actually even speak German, which is really super cool.
3: That's how it happened. It wasn't the other way around. It was definitely the other way around.
2: (laughs) It was. You know, when she was like, oh, no, I've been to Germany and I could speak German. I'm like, oh, my God, we need to be friends.
3: Exactly. (laughs) It wasn't the fact that we were playing something at the time
2: no it's the german it's, it's the german gen
3: mm-hmm.
2: i mean look there's nothing more awesome than german board gaming so you know if someone can drop some german at the table it's always a good thing
3: or read the rules <laughs> it helps
2: yes definitely read the rules
3: all right we'll see about that got i got your back Yeah, yeah
2: so everyone knows that anthony is on assignment he is off at cooperstown learning about baseball and once again considering thinking that possibly baseball is as good as board games but jen we know that's not true right it
3: could be close i don't know i'm not into baseball but i definitely hold board games to a to a dearer place in my heart so much better
2: jen did you happen to see the world cup
3: i didn't see it but i heard about i saw a few i saw saw bits and pieces but i i am so proud of our team i can't believe well i can believe it right but like it's amazing that we went that far. And, you know, I'm sure not having seen all of it, I'm sure all the teams played well, but like we excelled and it's, it's a source of pride. I have to say having, having lived in Germany and that soccer is such a big part. Fun fact, soccer actually really helped during the reunification of Germany after the whole Mm -hmm. East West thing, um, because it was the first time, the first time that both teams played together, Um, or both sides of Germany played together, they won the cup. And so yeah, that's how important it is over there. And so to be able to participate like that our country is participating and being recognized and respected for our soccer team just is it's so meaningful to me on a few different levels. Um, Yeah, I mean, anytime
2: that we get to participate, and once again, German kind of stuff, we're all down for it. So Once again, big congratulations to the women's team, fantastic victory, fantastic representation, Mm -hmm. and just some really great games all around. So that's pretty much what's going on in the world. But Jen, did you happen to know that Spiel des recently popped up? And I don't know, are you... Someone who follows the Spiel des Jahres or is it just something that you hear about every once in a while?
3: I am aware of it. My boyfriend, his uncle, um, they're German, his uncle buys Spiel des Jahres every year. And so it was something I was made, made aware of while I was over there. I keep an eye on to see if I want to buy it. But I'm so glad that they split the sections so that there's the, um, yes. the Euro games or the Kennerspiel and that there's like the family games. Because I remember being given codenames as a present and my boyfriend was like, Wow, that's game of the year. And I was like, is it? It doesn't feel like game of the year. It feels like it feels like a great game, but it doesn't have that same feel. So I'm so glad that they they split it. So I'm looking forward to I've not played either of the so obviously I haven't played the, the kids game yet, but I have it I'm really looking forward to playing both of the the winners.
2: Yeah so the the kinder spiel for the children was Llama by Reiner Knizia. The Kenner spiel which typically is they consider a heavier game because typically they're looking for more of the gateway mm-hmm. kind of situation. So the winner of there was Wingspan, uh, which we're a big fan of. Have you got a chance to see Wingspan or play it,
3: I've seen it. I love the box art. I love I love what it looks like, and I'm really excited to try... Um, I love Tableau games, so I, I really can't wait to play it. I'm very lucky that a friend of mine does own it. So it's, it's on my list, and it's nearing... Actually, it's really funny. I have spent quite some time looking at good two-player board games,
2: and mm-hmm. Wingspan
3: always comes up on that list now. And it's actually, for those of you who are looking for something to play with a significant other, it always comes up on, like, best games to play on date night.
2: Especially if you're a bird lover.
3: Yeah, yeah. Especially if you're a bird lover or an art lover. Oh, that story about the the bird lovers is just it's so great. It yeah.
2: turns out that orthologists or bird watchers generally are pretty close, at least in you know, their skills and abilities to watch birds out in the wild, to identify small minutiae of certain things. So patience and being detailed-oriented. Turns out they're awesome board gamers and they're really into the hobby. So when Wingspan came out, it turns out so I guess some board gamers who were into bird watching picked it up and it became this phenomenon. Now Jamie Stegmeier released what he thought was a good amount of games, which disappeared. And then everybody freaked out because they wanted it. And then it was hundreds of dollars. And it was all because of the Bird Watchers. They took all the board games. Now, Elizabeth Hardgrave's uh fantastic work here is now not going to be available for pretty much anybody because one of the great things or and what the challenges here is once a game gets to Speatos JRS, especially the Kenderspiel kind of award, it gets, you know, bought everywhere. So when you do see this game, I recommend picking it up. It is thematically perfect almost in every single way. It's a tableau builder, you put the cards down, you use the food that they would normally eat as a resource. You also place them in their correct habitat. So there is actually scientific knowledge that goes into the game into the birds. I'm on a wingspan group. I don't own the game. I would love to own the game. And all the time, these bird watchers are like, oh, I saw this bird. It's in the game. It's doing this, which is identical to that. And I'm just <laughs> like, my mind is blown. But I mean, I guess that's the value of board gaming. And fantastic to have another women designer out there win the Kenner Spiel. So congratulations to Elizabeth and everyone at Stonemaier games and everyone who had a hand in this game.
3: She, she sounds like quite an amazing woman. She is.
2: And she's been featured in the New York times and a lot of different other mainstream publications. So everyone's really happy. Now the Spiel des Jahres, which tends to be the big, big award, at least for the general public, the winner was just one. And that's the name of the game. Just one. Let's not do an app and Costello routine. It was literally (laughs) just one. And they won for producing a really fun party game. And we've already talked about in the episode. Jump back and listen to our episode we're talking about. Have you played that, Jen?
3: I haven't played it yet, but it does seem like it'll pass, my, it'll pass my desk eventually. In the co-ed group that I lead, I tend to play a lot of the party games since I'm like one of the more outgoing ones as a leader. And so I'm sure that it'll show up at some point considering it just won the award. So I'm excited. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. So never, I never turned down minnows at learning a Euro. I never turned down minnows at learning a party game. So um, definitely. Look forward to
2: that. So jump back to episode 224. If you want to hear Anthony's review of the game, he did like it. And I'm hoping to play it at some point pretty soon. So we also want to talk about our Patreon backers. Thanks to them, we are able to produce more and more episodes and deal with the ongoing challenges of a weekly podcasts because we really want to get those episodes out to you. You probably know that over the last several weeks, if not months, we've had some challenges getting the episodes out on time, and we really feel terrible about that. I do the editing and the hosting and pretty much everything on the production side, and then Anthony does all the backside stuff. A lot of work, and typically and currently, I'm running into some technical issues on my end, so thanks to everyone for bearing with us as we go through this process, but computers and everything else tends to be a little expensive and we really want to produce the best podcast possible for you and our patreon backers allow us to do those things and in thanks we do our weekly contests so if you're not a patreon backer you should check out patreon.com backslash bga and find out about our contest because we are that crazy podcast that gives back the money to you in the form of board games i know right why are we doing this thing it makes no sense (laughs) My computer's falling apart, but yeah, board games. Yeah, I'll
3: give them to you instead of me.
2: <laughs> so this week, Anthony came up with another contest where he took, he wanted everyone to have pictures of them board gaming. And there were a lot of great entries here and it was almost impossible to pick, but one Patreon backer went above and beyond. And that was Ryan. Ryan did this very kind of like throwback medieval looking dress and picture even with the filters on top of it of love letter and it's very kind of ornate and over the top kind of look so we're going to make sure to post it on the facebook page so you can take a look at it ryan you'll be receiving a game in part thanks to our friends at game surplus they've been a big help to us sending these games out and we're so thankful for them and everyone there's a new contest next week we'll change it up make things new and different And thanks to everyone out there who lets everybody know about BGA. So, Jen, we have a lot to talk about on this episode, Uh and especially our feature review, which is bras and board games, which was your suggestion.
3: Hey, gotta, gotta, you know, gotta go for it when you have the, when the, when the idea pops, you gotta go for it, you know, so.
2: All right, so that's what's going on with BGA. Let's get on to what's going on with our listeners. What's our question of the week? So for this week's question of the week, we are talking about if you were a game designer, what would you include in your design of that board game? So we had a lot of great responses and it turns out we have a lot of great game designers as part of our group. Scott said, I dabble in game design already and my ideas are pretty broad in theme mechanics as well as my taste. So pretty much anything goes bar social deduction trivia games, which I get that. That's totally I get that. that. Chris had a really interesting one: learning different dance steps that you could then sequence into choreography and pair with music of varying types. He's not too sure about the mechanic, but I really like the theme there.
3: Yeah, there's um, there's like this DJ turntable thing you can combo that with. That I forget what it's called. is it very popular, like a year ago.
2: Yeah, drop mix. I think I think drop you get mix. it for like yeah. twenty bucks now out there.
3: Yeah, yeah, the partnership and- opportunities.
2: Definitely. Amy had a similar idea as as far as the performing arts is concerned. She said mm-hmm. she'd probably start off with some musical theme, maybe building a band or rehearsing with an orchestra from a concert. Not sure what the mechanics yeah. would be, as it would require good balance between mechanics and theme, trying to find a way to make it accessible but also trying to make it fun for classically trained people. I love this idea. This sounds like a wingspan in the make.
3: That is, big. that is, you said her name was Amy? Amy, what you doing <laughs> on Tuesdays, Amy? We got a girl's game group for you.
2: Yeah, and then for some reason, this rando guy, Tim, said probably a fantasy game, you know, about mages learning about magic and maybe spears of magic that you could blend together to make more powerful magic. I don't know, Tim. It sounds like a crazy, outlandish job, you know, job, and I don't think they'll ever be a game made of it. No. Don't quit the no. day job. Yeah, for everyone who doesn't get the sarcasm, Tim is a, a fantastic yeah. game designer, and he has a game just like this. But uh, he goes with the humor here. He's he's actually quite talented in his design. So Jen, what do you think as far as a game? How would you, how would you design it or what would you put into it?
3: So I, I get, so I'm like a lot of you. I'm unclear on what the mechanics of my game would be. My favorite game is Citadel. Mm -hmm. So maybe something like that. So my favorite piece of that is that your role. So like, I love games where like you have roles that have special powers, but my particularly favorite part of Citadel is that that role changes. And so you're not locked into a strategy and you're not locked in really to one to one power that you have to learn over time. So it probably incorporates something like that. I don't know how. I'm also struggling right now to think of a theme, except that um a friend of mine, a joke that we have is um we always fight over the blue pieces. <laughs> I, I say this all the time. If I'm not blue, I will lose. And that's because when I'm when I am strategizing, if I look at the if I look at the table and I see the blue pieces, I will always think a few steps forwards as if I'm blue and then I have to like come back and be like, Oh man, but I'm yellow this time. And so, but like my friend James also loves to be the blue pieces. And so I joke around that if we ever designed a game together, we'd have to have like different shades of blue. Um and I I think I might have started making this joke before oh, no. I found out that he's colorblind. So I don't know if that would actually work. But yeah, so blue being my favorite color and it also being like a large joke between a lot of my best friends and I that blue is my favorite color might be something themed towards that like ocean-y or or I don't know. What else is blue um besides the song that I'm about to break into.
2: All right, well I'll stop you before you you break any copyrights. But
3: yeah, please do
2: i hope i have a similar issue and it wasn't intentional which is okay. i always play green now it, green was not an initial choice i do like the color green it's very <laughs> green but you know the game group is anthony and daniel and and drew and the people i used to game with they would always pick red blue and yellow so green was always the secondary color that was available and i'm that kind of guy i'm like cool i'll just take whatever's available i don't care But we gamed so much together Mm -hmm. that I always played green. So now if I play a game and I don't play as green, I'm constantly moving the wrong piece or thinking, oh, I'm over there. I'm planning my next move. I'm taking my next move. Why are you doing that? Because I'm over there. Like, nope, you are not over there. I'm like, damn it. To the point where I will tell people at the beginning of the game, look, you can play green, Just want you to know, I'm going to move your pieces throughout the game.
3: (laughs) It's going to be harder for all of us. The best part is when I play with James sometimes is like if we're playing something like Ticket to Ride, where there's um, there's like a during the game like point counter mechanic, we will move each other's pieces by accident. (laughs) And then have to, like, re-subtract the points, and then it's just, it's a mess, but it's it's great. He's one of my favorite people to play with. Again, I just, I, I, I keep gathering mathematicians and scientists sure. for some reason, so so I guess I like being at a disadvantage, but that just means my wins are, like, so much more yeah. earned.
2: Well, I, I'm going to have to do a, a big <laughs> yeah, shout-out yeah. to all the people who allow me to play green, and those people who I allow to <clears throat> play the green, I, I apologize for moving your pieces. But I guess, Jen, going along with your idea, my game would be obviously very green. So maybe it would be something along the lines of some sort of like save the earth, kind of regrow the land, plant trees and stuff. Mm-hmm. I like the idea of incorporating social justice and social activism and board gaming. And I like the yeah. idea of yeah. you know a competitive game that doesn't have a competitive goal to it. So it's not about killing the other troops or crushing the other business, but is in doing the most good possible. So it would probably be a green game through and through down to like, recycle components
3: that would be so interesting i wonder i mean now this would be so much more work but if you made like a competitive yes. and a co-op version to that although my mind immediately then was like what if there was a trader <laughs> component and somebody like had to play pollution like <laughs> and then like my my brain literally just thought of like fern gully but yeah that's one one too many there games this go. week i guess it happens. But, but oh that sounds so cool Oh, that would be awesome.
2: All right. So if you'd like to jump in and let us know your favorite game or your favorite game design, please reach out to us on all of our social media, Facebook, Twitter, BoardGamersAnonymous.com, which will have all of Jen's fantastic articles, which we'll be talking about later in the episode. We also have our Guild on Board Game Geek. We really want to hear from you. So join us and let us know about all the great things that you are doing in gaming. All right, Jen. So that's everything that's going on with our listeners Let's get on to the games that we want to get to the table. Let's talk about our acquisition disorders.
3: I recently walked into my Sunday group. And they were playing this game called Treasure Island, and it was pretty sick. So I, so I walk in, and everybody's got these like blinders, and so immediately I'm like, oh man, it's on, (laughs) it is on. And so what, from what I gather, everybody's playing as pirates, and it's like semi co-op, but also like one person wins in the end. And so you're all trying to beat basically the dungeon master, who is Long John Silver, in finding into finding the buried treasure, and it's got a very like cryptid vibe where um, I don't know the exact mechanics but from what I gather everybody has some information um, and they're trying to find the treasure and so I walk in and there's this board on the table and everybody's got these little markers and like rulers and like compasses and they're trying to like measure out things and make searches and it it looked awesome it looked like fresh like brand new like you know because like you could you know like you could sit down to a game right and be like this is exactly like this game except the theme's different and that was not not you know that was not what I thought when I saw Treasure Island and so I, I I can sometimes be a sucker for theme of course the one downfall is that I tend to dislike games that have the like the marker mechanic because you know you know to play that game. You're going to be at Staples. Like, you're going to be like, your 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 Amazon cart is just going to be full of, like, <laughs> discounted, like, whiteboard board markers. Um, and then, of course, there will be somebody that, like, tries to erase it with their finger. And you're like, no, oils. But it looked sick. And I can't wait to play it. A friend of mine, again, a friend of mine owns it. So uh, I'm sure I'll get to play it soon. You know, I had a Sea of Thieves sort of that's a that's a video game of pirates I had I had a sea of thieves uh, era of my life and so I might just go back into that pirate era of my life, full throttle with the playlist that I had. Yeah, it was exciting. I mean, you got to crew a ship with three of your best friends and like get drunk and like throw people off boats. It was great. Yeah, and I just remember the one, we had one rando on our boat named King Loki and we were like, oh man, like how much chaos could he cause? And he caused all of the chaos. So yeah, pirate themed anything, I guess. I'm learning about myself. That's what we do as adult (laughs) human beings. What's on your acquisition
2: list? Well, I'm looking at a game that, I'm either going to really love for personal reasons or utterly hate with a with a blinding kind of rage here. Uh, I'm a Star Trek fan. I mean, that's pretty obvious, you know, as far as the podcast is concerned. And why shouldn't everyone? It's
3: amazing. Be Star Trek yeah, so.
2: But Star Trek, um, WizKids is coming out with a Star Trek game because they have the IP. Star Trek, conflict, not conflict with a T, but flick as in flicking a disc in the neutral zone. So, this is a dexterity game <laughs> utilizing the Star Trek universe. I oh never thought gosh. I would say that in a sentence, but here I am. Oh yes. My so,
3: yeah, yeah, go on. No, it sounds like it sounds exactly how you described it. Like you'd either absolutely adore it or like just be like, I'm done with this. <laughs> yeah, go on. Yes. Yeah.
2: Exactly. So, what you're doing in this game is obviously you're flicking discs. At other ships, which are also discs, there are round discs that you're trying to flick at the planets in order to -hmm. to gain resources to buy other discs, which are other ships. And there are other discs (laughs) (laughs) that are there to attack. So they're not round. They are technical. And they are just there to knock other Uh players around. So, you know, it's a flicking game. And I get that. (laughs) Beyond that, it looks completely silly and ridiculous as you have the blue Federation discs and you have the red Mm -hmm. Klingon discs and you have this mat that's like generic Mm -hmm. as can be. Now, that being said, it has a lot, if not the vast majority of the ship cards representing the real ships. And you do have the chits to flick. So... This is either a guilty pleasure or I'm going to jump up and down right. about this and I'm not right. sure which. Genre.
3: So so what I'm hearing then is it it does have that like fanboy quality of like it's got enough detail for you to be into it but like also enough generality to like be like to your non-nerd friends like no no no, no. it's going to be a fun game. I I don't care what you think about Star <laughs> Trek. Like is that is that the sense I'm getting? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty it's much it. Line. I mean, and like yeah. you said, like, it's a hard line and doesn't, and then it obviously it's not going to because it's a dexterity game, but I don't know how am I going to be okay with flicking the Enterprise, <laughs> but I guess at some point I will Immediately find
3: when you started telling me about this, I just imagined like an episode of Star Trek where they're like, have lost control of the ships and they don't know why. And it's because these like meta gods are flicking the discs in a board game. <laughs> I just nice. like, if I if nice. I had art skills I would make so many cartoons about board games it would not it would just it'd be great but I don't have those skills unfortunately
2: and I mean that's a perfect theme Jen if they would have went a little bit further and and called it like you know cue flicking or something some something else as, as far as that's concerned
3: hand of the gods or something I don't perfect. know like some kind of like high poster like you know yeah yeah I've watched Star Trek there
2: you go nice <laughs> welcome to the podcast yeah. Jen Not like that Anthony guy. Yeah, that was the entry.
3: That was the ticket. Yeah. It's a baseball. Baseball guy. Jeez,
2: some people. Star Trek, man. Star Trek. Yeah. All right. So that's our acquisition disorders. Check those games out if you're interested. All right, Jen, let's get on to the games that hit the table, games that we actually have played. And let's let everyone know if those games are a buy and they should run out and buy them. If those games are a play and they should sit down and play them. The games are a dodge. They should avoid them or if those games are the dreaded burn and they should flick them into the fire. All right, so that's everything that we want to get to the table. Let's talk about the games that we have hit the table. So for this week, we're going to let you know if those games are a buy and you should pick those games up. If those games are a play and you should sit down and play them. Those games are a dodge and you should avoid them at all costs. Or if the games are a dreaded burn and you should flick them into the trash bin. So Jen, what do you have up for us?
3: So a game that's on my table that is never actually physically hit a physical table for me is Hadara. It's a great game. It came out in March. And when it came out, it also came out on this website that I use called bretspielbelt.com in order to entice people to buy it um, which I think is really cool. First of all, that I get to play a $60 game for free repeatedly. And second of all, that we've we've hit this sort of um, really cool marketing thing where, you know, board games bring people together. So why not help bring people together from a bunch of different places? And so in Hadara, it's you want to focus on tracks to get points because you win by getting the most points. It's, it's that kind of a game, like most kinds of games. It's what I would say is a Euro and so in, in Hadara there are three apoc that have um, two phases in it, and so um, to increase your tracks in Hadara you you have to buy cards using using money, and so money is one of the tracks, and of course um, each card correlates to a blue red green or yellow track and when you've earned enough like status on the blue or red tracks you get to you get to on the red track buy a city or have a city and then you decide what you do with it you either sell it for money or you flip it over to get higher on tracks Or on the blue track, um, you build statues and those statues give you points and also help you to go higher on the tracks, thus leading to this cycle of buying cards, um, upping a track, getting points, and so on and so forth. And so in addition to cards correlating to those colors um, in Hadara, there are also these purple cards, which are wild cards. And so sometimes they'll have tracks on them, but most of the times they're powers that you can have to help you. And so a really contentious, um, I play this mostly with my boyfriend, and a really contentious card in in our relationship is this card where you can buy medals, which help with endgame scoring, for cheaper at the end of a round. There was one time we played, and we usually play three times in a row, and All three times he got that card and all three times he won. And so you can decide if you play it, if it's an OP card. Yeah, we tend to fight about that card, but not a real fight. It's fine. Anyway, moving on. in Hadara, I think that's about it. I mean, I love the game. I play it, like I said, I play it three times, three times in a row every time I play it. And so that's like two times a week. And I absolutely love it. The only problem is I wouldn't quite buy it yet because it just seems to be a game with a lot of setup and a lot of cleanup. And so I highly enjoy being able to play multiple times instead of just one time and so i would play it and see if you want to buy it and maybe just keep checking the price cuz i know i know it's a very it's a it's a great game and it's a fun game um and we normally play it at two player and i've also played it at five player and so it seems i hate to say this cuz i don't think there really is a game that's great at all player counts but it seems good at hadara is pretty good at at most of the player counts i've played it at um so yeah that's my game and all right, if I have, yeah,
2: all right. So, the game that hit my table this week is what I hope to be, and I promise everyone listening is the last in my ongoing review of Lorenzo Menefico, the Potzi Conspiracy Kickstarter Edition. I, I've been talking about this for a while. They came out with the electronic version, it was awful. They came out with a small deck of additional cards, the physical cards, which I paid for and wanted to add to the game. And it shipped. It's fine quality cards. It matches the game, so there's no problem there. But they didn't include any explanation of the new cards or rules how to integrate the cards into the actual game. Now, the Kickstarter had a spreadsheet and then eventually had printed rules that you can print out yourself, which I kind of found to be problematic because now you had X number of even more sheets for this game. And if you've ever played Lorenzo Manifico, It's a tableau builder that has a ridiculous number of cards that you're going to purchase. And now you had another four or five sheets to add to the game. Let's talk about playing with this expansion. This expansion adds more cards to the game, it doesn't do anything beyond that. Now, there are several ways to incorporate the cards into the game itself. But in general, if you want to play with the expansion, you have to ensure that more cards get in here than not. Otherwise, the expansion itself is pretty watered down. Now, what the expansion's trying to do beyond just having some additional cards is for this Kickstarter one, especially is it has a lot of take that cards. So, of course, you will have some special features like the laborer uh, allows you to utilize your harvesting at whatever maximum capacity you want to. And the same thing with the artisan apprentice. And, you know, those kind of benefits and bonuses are really interesting and dynamic. It introduces some mechanics where uh, getting rid of cards, destroying cards as part of your tableau will give you additional cards or special benefits. It also allows you to utilize some of your immediate benefits of previously stated cards. There is a little bit of a mechanic where depending on the number of players, you have to pay that cost. So, throughout the game, you will take a look at the cards that are available, and if you see a silhouette of a person, that is going to utilize that mechanic, so you might have to pay military or other types of resources in order to do something else. Now, if you do have to base your decision on a number of players, it typically means it's going to be an attack card. So, you will be able to attack players, for example, the Siege Tower allows you to take either two workers Or three points from another player. There's another card that allows you to take money in the game. So you do now have to incorporate the fact that you are going to have to give up resources at some point if people take those cards and to plan for that as well. This game is very tight as far as resources are concerned to begin with when you're building your tableau. So it does slow the game down a bit. It does randomize the game a bit as far as if those cards are going to come out, if someone's going to purchase those cards. It does allow some more general uncertainty if certain cards are going to come out at the end, especially those big bonus cards. So you're never quite sure what card row is actually going to be the best. There are also cards that will actually destroy other players' cards in the game, which will slow down tableaus again and kind of even things out more or less. I didn't hate this expansion. It was fine. It adds more cards to the game. Some players were a little bit thrown by the fact that now other players can mess with their stuff because Lorenzo, up until that point, had been basically a solo game that every once in a while you had to pay more to go and purchase a card. So for Lorenzo, the Kickstarter expansion, but you can pick it up retail, the Potsy Conspiracy I give it a play. I think it's fine to add to your game. If you already have the fifth player expansion, you don't really need this, but it does open up the game to some new combinations. And that's generally fun. All right. So that's everything that's hitting our table. Let's get on to our feature review. So for a feature, (coughs) tongue went too fast. (laughs)
3: Yeah. Wow.
2: So for a feature review this week, we are talking Bras and board games. So, Jen, since you came up with that wonderful title, why don't you talk about that title itself and why it's important? All right. So, for our feature review, we are talking about bras and board games, a topic I never thought we would talk about, but a topic Jen suggested, and her and I have been talking for quite some time about women in gaming and how they can be more welcome into the hobby. And Jen has graciously been writing articles about this topic and a lot of similar topics that are going to be on boardgamersanonymous.com so unfortunately we can't go into every detail but we want to kind of point you there to read Jen's complete articles here so Jen um tell us a little bit about you as a board gamer and a little bit about the title bras and board games
3: yeah, uh, so I'll start with the bras and the board games because I know that's what people are wondering <laughs> about. Because it's it started off um, quite genuinely. It started off as just a really cute alliteration um, that I've had in the back of my mind since I started an all women's board gaming group. I wanted to attract a lot of people, so I was a little bit afraid of like calling a group bras and board games because then I also thought people might get the wrong idea, start showing up with like bras on on fire, you know and fire near board games, not what I want. Anyway, so once I had the alliteration down, when I was trying to title one of my articles, which is on the gamer girl stereotypes that are really harmful to actual gamer girls, I titled it bras and board games, and then came up with this metaphor, that finding the right gamer group, now this could be a board game, or this could even be like an online gaming, but finding the right group the right community the right people to spend a lot of time with very much feels like when you get to take your bra off at the end of the day and so it's something that is just so trivial that you wouldn't always think about that just it's like the the equivalent that I've come up with is that it's the gender neutral equivalent that I've come up with is that it's like that feeling that I'm, I'm pretty sure we all n- have known of a feeling like you're holding your breath for a decision or just holding it in general because you're so anxious or holding it because you're underwater and finally being able to get that that air and being able to breathe. That's what taking your bra off feels like. So if you've ever wondered, which I'm sure a lot of men have, and but also I think it's a really good metaphor for finding kind of your tribe or your squad or whichever word you want to use for a group of people. I don't know, your, your flock. I could keep going on on her, <laughs> your herd, but yeah. So that's where the that's where that title came up with, and I just thought what to kind of just describe the whole reason of why I wanted to write these articles.
2: So Jen, what it seems like you're saying is obviously going to a game night can be restrictive for women coming.
3: It it can be. It's you know it depends on the group. Like I actually it doesn't depend on the group it, it's always in the back of your mind as as a, I've been a I'm a lifelong nerd you know it, it's the same feeling you get when you walk into a comic book shop or a or a video game store and I personally get a thrill out of it because I get a thrill out of being like the only of a type I am an enFP if you're familiar with Myers- Briggs I love being unique but it also brings with it this kind of weird feeling fear and, and restriction of, you know, that people are watching you because you're unique. And I, I have a lot of empathy and I have a lot of sympathy and compassion really for, for the, the need and want for human interaction and the, the need and want for romantic human interaction. So there's that, like, oh, it's a new it's a new woman. It's a new girl. I wonder what her thing is. And it it, it Um, there's that. And then there's also, I I, I feel like I'm getting off track because there's so much I could say. So I'm just going to go back to the articles. It, it just, there are microaggressions and I, I don't want to sound like that flaming feminist, right? That people hate, but there are these microaggressions that you, even if you're the nicest guy, you can't really, you can't really impact or you can't really always you're not always as aware of it as I am mm-hmm. that these gaming groups happen in a small like usually in small confined places and if you sit me in a corner and some random person is is coming on to me or, or harassing me or saying something what have you if if you physically put me in a corner i physically have no way out of that situation i don't want to sound like the sky is falling i don't that's not who i am but it it's it's a fear and i talk there's this one article that i wrote on microaggressions and it happens to be the longest article unfortunately but one of my reasons for writing the articles was to help help men who don't see it or don't experience it to know what is happening to us and how we react and why it scares us away and why we don't want to be in gaming groups. And so unfortunately, it's my darkest article that I had to write, but something that seems like an impossibility or that that you would never do, right? So let's come back to the fact that I trust you. Like Chris, I trust you sure. and I know that you, right? You're somebody that I know I can open up to, and whether or not, and and you are somebody that I can truly understand, in your mind would say, I would never do that. So I guess it never happens. Sure. But it, in the back of every woman's mind is is some scary, weird, creepy scenario that has actually happened to her, unless she's been living under a rock. Sure. That could happen, and I think really could be escalated.
2: As you mentioned, I guess one of the things that, as a man, that we don't generally think about especially when it comes to gaming is we game in a lot of places that are off the beaten track sometimes they're not mm-hmm. at public public locations or sometimes they're in a room in a place that at night right
3: because that's when they get off and yeah because yeah, work and yeah. I've,
2: and i've had guys say to me like why aren't we getting more people or i've seen women mm-hmm. as far as meetup.com like hey i'm gonna come and then they cancel I'm going to come this week and they cancel. I'm thinking about coming. What what games do you play? What, you know, who's there. And then I often tell the group, I'm like, we do have women who come to the group. You should also RSVP to let other women know that it's, it's, you know, a safe space, so to speak. But, but we'd often don't recognize, especially since we're, you know, gamers and we're a little more chill is that, you know, men just in general are big dudes and, we don't understand a lot of big dudes in a space that is, as I mentioned, even if it's a public space, a space that's a little bit off to the side, now you have a situation where a bunch of dudes in a off to side space are surrounding you. Now, it's to play a game, but it's also going to be intimidating to pretty much anybody, but obviously mostly women, right. especially when there could be an a possible attraction where it then might get a little more aggressive.
3: Right. So two things popped in my mind when you were saying that. And the first is that in in the introductory article that I that I wrote um and in a few others I I I note this that we we as a community, right? Because I'm including myself as this community, even though I run a women's group, I'm not excluding myself from the board game community. I'm just creating something different within it. We as a community have this huge PR problem. That's not our entire community, but there is some grains of truth when you you meet these sometimes well meaning men that are that are socially awkward or or have social like hesitancies that they or the inability to to read what is happening. And again, this is where I say, I have compassion. I have empathy, but I am not going to always choose to put myself in a situation that could that could negatively impact me and in the microaggression article i do write about there are psychological microaggressions and there are physical microaggressions and if we just work on them together or even just i hesitate to say if a man could step if a man could step in because one of my things is that women should be autonomous and be able to speak for themselves but we're not always there yet which pains me and makes me really sad but we're we're not and so i i wrote about this right because going go Going back to the whole, um, ro- I-, I called it romantic disinterest. In in one of the articles, this this part about I could be interested in you, right? But at the same time, I came there to game. If you are showing hyper interest in me, and you are also part of the only gaming group in my in my community, you have now put me in a spot where I do not get to interact with my hobby the way that I want to interact with my hobby because. And I get it because you might be scared to ask me out because you're scared of rejection. But please keep in mind that, like, we want to come and we want a game. We don't come. I've and I've heard multiple women say this. This isn't just something I came up with. I we don't we don't go to gaming to flirt and find a mate. We we come to gaming because we want to learn the game. We want to win the game. And I think in in experiences that I've had, um, it has been helpful for. T- for me personally but this is this is how I interact right so for another woman it could be different but it's been really helpful when I developed a friendship where he said to me I'm here if you need me to um and I can totally and like who who just completely offered to be a diffuser or a buffer and to know that I had that made me keep coming back to the group even when I had been asked out by a, a huge ton of men or or come on to by a lot of men, having that person there that I knew that I could go to to feel safe and that I knew I could go to to be like, I want to play a game and I want to excel at this game instead of, and I talked about this in the microaggressions, um, There's, I've, I've seen it and it's been done to me where I've seen men follow women around the board game groups like specific sure. women that they're fixated on. And so knowing that I had that person there, um, granted it helped me that, that person who I love very dearly was disliked very strongly um by by the person that was fixated on me. Um, but I that that did help. Um, but I knowing that I had that person there anyway, knowing that I had that person there really was a boon to me going back to a group that I would not have otherwise gone back to.
2: So it sounds like Obviously, as men, since we are the majority of board gaming, and we're hoping to kind of open up even more. Because initially, as you said, we don't see the problem because we're welcome in automatically, and the environment is already built for us to kind of respect and engage with each other in a particular way. So when a woman comes to the group, it's like right. we don't know what to do, or maybe we're not doing the best things possible, and it sounds like probably as far as board gaming groups are concerned that it's important for mm-hmm. all of us to be allies when anybody comes to the group but especially women because we mm-hmm. want to have more women gaming with us.
3: So there's a catch 22 right because when when and I've I found this in ministry as well when you say that you want to be welcoming there is a scale and a lot of people will go to the opposite side of that scale and be so over welcoming that it actually scares the person away. And so I don't want that, right? But I do want to be welcome enough. And I think that an appropriate welcome would be, hey, um, I'm playing this board game and this is, you know, how it's played. Are you interested if you have a spot, right? Or saying like, oh, those people have that or like asking what type, right? Because there's another thing that I wrote about I think in the stereotype article about stereotyping women to be beginners, we can't break out of that stereotype if you don't let us. We a lot of people um misinterpret being experienced in the hobby with being smart in the hobby, if that makes sense. So it's it's misinterpreted. Like this woman is a beginner, so we're gonna start her with a beginner game. Well, if the beginner game is code names, but the woman's actually a neuroscientist, like she might like code names, but like there's nothing stopping her from picking up Catan super easy. I totally lost there was something you said and there was something I wanted to say and I can't entirely remember what it was, but you're right. Everybody has to be an ally and it comes down to how do we how do we make somebody feel comfortable and how do we help them to pursue their interest in Within the hobby and their interest could stop at party games, who knows, or their interest could go as far as brass. A a friend of mine started a meetup group and he offered to give me that platform and we started getting new women coming. And like any meetup group, we had to slog it out. It was me. Originally, it was me and two very close friends of mine. Then more women started showing up. And then more women started consistently showing up to the point where we have a core group, but that it, you know, it's like any game group. It gets a little dodgy depending on, you know, people's personal, excuse me, personal schedules. And so it's just amazing to, to sit there. And so the first time we had a a large group, which was around six women, I had one woman who has kids my age who turned to me and said, This is such a wonderful environment that you've created because I would not – I think she had two sons, to be honest. She goes, I just would not – I don't want to go to a group and have to deal with – Deal with all of that, right? Because women very commonly in our society get put into a position where we are conflict mediators. And again, you think about board games, and I mean, what what is more conflicting than actively putting yourself in competition with one another? Um, and so it was just so heartfelt. And then all the other women agreed. And and then I think what was really special was that women who are my age or younger. Affirmed it because they always wanted to get in the hobby and either one they were relegated, um I call it the kids table. Um, they were relegated to the kids table or the party table rather, um, and ne- were never able to look into the games that they were actually interested in. Or two, they were seen as as prospects, as romantic prospects. And again, I want to affirm that there is nothing wrong with meeting your significant other through a board game group, but when when somebody is devoted to the hobby and just wants to come and wants to game, you know, like if you, if you want to try a romantic relationship with this person, it's going to have, it's going to be outside of the board game group anyway. And um, so taking a chance and, and trying to spend time outside of the group, I think is the best tester. Um, but going back to the women's group, it was just so, I don't know. It just, it, it fit because I love competition but I don't love what what we call aggro I don't I, I, do I have to define my terms? Um, like I think we're all gamers right and so a lot of women no offense guys a lot of women were like I can't deal with how aggro guys get and I I am dating a mathematician here guys like I, and I have a theology degree like like Like, I'm not saying I don't want a challenge because I absolutely adore having a challenge. That's how I know I've really won. But to get emotionally invested so much as to have people tell you you're being aggro it just it's not a good look it, it is one of the things keeping women away like and so the one thing in the article that I wrote on my women's space is that I truly believe and this comes from a background of social justice um, caucusing is is such an important step it's where you spend time within your minority in order to figure out where you want to go um as a group and what you know what your shared ideals are and it is so important and I think that these exclusive spaces for women to feel comfortable and to feel curious about gaming and try out what they want to try out and get new recommendations like there's one woman absolutely adore her she always had an interest in gaming and then all of a sudden she she came in I think it was like last week and she had bought like five games for her family to play. And I'm sure that probably would have happened over time without our women's group. But like, I do feel like we encouraged her, right? I love it. I love our barista shout out to Steph. She's amazing. She's part of the reason why girls game night works. So if you are in, if you are a woman and you are in the Bergen County area of New Jersey, um, Tuesday nights at cool beans at 7:30, it's a great time. Again, Steph's awesome. I'm awesome. Um, All the women that come are awesome.
2: Um, Well, Jen, I'm really happy to see that you've recognized a problem that's obviously not just affecting you, but a lot of gamers out there and you've taken like super productive steps to make things right and you found a way Mm -hmm. to do so. So for a lot of our gamers out there, this might be a great option for them. If if gamers are gaming with obviously Mm -hmm. a mixed gender Mm -hmm. group, what would you recommend or what would you leave them with as far as a piece of information the articles are on boardgamersanonymous.com there's a lot of information there to read through and a lot to get out of there but give us something quick that people can kind of like hold on to
3: so two two really quick things and i'll start with the lovey-dovey thing um one of my articles is basically a love letter to my boyfriend and um it it I, i wind up coming to the conclusion that if you're there to game, game, respect the game. That is sexier to me than you trying to impress me by letting me win or, or like trying to overbeat me. Um, and I encourage you to, to pursue something and, but like pursue it in a respectful way on the other side of that if you are there and i think this is we we we've talked about this you and me um if you are there experiencing and and being able to see that a woman is uncomfortable with a situation asking asking is like the biggest thing you can do because one the woman will feel heard um and acknowledged and and two um it it gives her an extra tool to feel safe And again, I hate that I have to use the word safe, dangerous, and, and, um, whatever else. Um, but just, just asking, um, is so important. Um, whether it's asking, you know, on the psychological standpoint, whether it's asking, Hey, what kind of games are you into? Or what have you played instead of, Hey, they're playing that party game over there. I think you'd really like it. Or, or even just asking, Hey, I've, i I noticed that this is happening to you. What can I do? Um, or, or even just making sure. Um, now, this is not asking. This is just silently doing. Just making sure she doesn't get put in the corner seat. Um, I, I tell in the articles. I say, I say, you all have to, and you all have to get in contact with your inner Patrick Swayze um, and make sure that baby is not in a corner. Um, because it it is it is a physical thing it is a psychological thing and um even though we are there on the social contract that we will finish the game not having a physical out is the quickest way to disconnect us from the game and disconnect us from you who might want to be who might be a great friend or even great potential um partner but but making us feel physically uncomfortable is like hmm no so, so it so then on on a really positive note um i I absolutely adore both spaces that I am a part of, both my co ed space and my and my women's group, um, and I think that more women leadership in this community is happening, um, and I love it because. I do think that more women leadership will encourage more women to be a part of the the hobby and to not be afraid, even if you are in a church basement at 9 o'clock at night, to come and play. Um, and so, so, yeah, my main rules, I guess, what I would want to leave you with are respect the game, respect each other, and respect the space. Um, and I try to play by those rules. And um, I hope that these articles help you also, the listener and the reader, to play by those rules.
2: All right, so check out those articles on boardgamersanonymous.com. Jen, thank you so much. We appreciate that's your awesome. articles. We appreciate you dropping some major knowledge on us this week. Yeah. And this is a conversation that obviously we need to continue mm-hmm. to have in order to uh welcome more gamers to the mm-hmm. table.
3: I'm here for you anytime. Anytime you need. Thank you for having me on.
2: All right. So that's everything for this week. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Jen and we'll save you a seat at the table. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip-syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com.